This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4ZZZ out of Brisbane, Australia. Hello and welcome to Only Human on Z Digital. I'm your host Kim and I'm here with Daniela. And this week on the show, Ula will be talking to Dr. Hanan Dober, clinical and forensic psychologist who helps people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities in Western Sydney. Hannon Dover is the Vice President of the International Association of Muslim Psychologists, a full member of the Australian Psychological Society and the College of Clinical and Forensic Psychologists within the APS. She's also the founder of Mission of Hope, a not-for-profit community organisation with a focus on health and community development. Ola asked Dr. Dover what the psychological effects of racism are on the victims. Um, I think the, the experience of uh, racism you know, it, it's felt across the board. It's, it's not, it, it occurs and it has damaging effects, you know, because prejudice and discrimination also barriers to fair treatment and equal opportunity. You know, it can also prevent a person's participation as a free Aussie citizen. Um, and it can um, also uh, tarnish, you know, Australia's commitment to social cohesion. And when I, when I use co- social cohesion in this instance, it's not the government speak on national security. It's more about, you know, having a healthy um, form of multiculturalism. Um, and racism can also affect, you know, uh, physical health and also mental health, which is very important. We've seen that, you know, uh, with many, many, many different reports. And it can also, racism can also affect people's health conditions um, and also result in poor mental health and uh, well-being. And again, I spoke about earlier how children are exposed to racism. You know, uh, in the in the schools, there has been research um, in the social media where the Australian Human Rights Commission in 2013 they surveyed 2,000 young people aged between 13 and 17 about the experiences and knowledge of racism. And what they, what they found was that, you know, nine out of ten of the young people had experienced some form of racism, you know, and uh, nearly half of them, so about 43%, had experienced it at school and uh, 33% on the internet, new place, new space, you know, for racism to also uh, emerge, take form and manifest. You know, so there, there's a lot of spaces where racism uh, lives and thrives. And, yes, it's, it's, it's hard to tackle every single you know, area, but I, I think that in where politicians are involved in the media, they need to take some ownership in uh, being being able to address those issues. I mean, you look at sport, for example, Adam Good playing for the Sydney Swans. There wasn't enough concerted effort by the media. You know, um, the AFL did take a strong stance, you know, um, and kudos to that. You know, but... but Sometimes it's institutions that don't act in isolation. Sometimes the media reinforces and perpetuates uh, racism um, uh, as well. So you would say that younger people are the most vulnerable when it comes to racism? Yes, because they don't have the resources to address racism. They're mm. still young. They're still developing. You know, um, so they, don't have, they haven't got the inbuilt resilience uh, mechanisms in place. You know, so and, and that's why having um, uh, uh, racism workshops and courses and information and awareness sessions in school is, is actually quite important. Just like when they have awareness about bullying, you know, um, uh, in schools, uh, racism is also something that needs to needs to be addressed because everybody wants to have or feel a sense of belonging. Nobody wants to feel alienated. 
at all in society and feeling alienated within the school when, you know, children go to school five days per week. You know, it can have long-standing standing impacts also in a person's um, uh, social development into, into adulthood as well. We're listening to Dr. Hannon Dover, psychologist talking to only humans, Ula Sheehan. Ula asked Dr. Dover about her research looking and tactics to counter violent extremism and the lack of evidence in the policies of US and Australian governments. Well, the thing about countering violent extremism from the outset is that it's, it's a term and a framework that was developed by the United States, you know, and it's a policy idea that doesn't have any evidence basis. Even the US Department funding, uh, they did research on, on CVE, countering violent extremism, and they found no evidence on their, um, their agenda where they believe that, you know, People who have uh, strong political views or religious views will end up committing acts of violence, but there was no evidence for that. Mm. Yet the the concept, you know, and the policy is pushed forward over, you know, into in, in through the government and uh, translating them into the local American um, society. And then also the UK have adopted it as well, and the Australian government has adopted it as well as a, as, as a strategy, as an agenda, as a policy. You know, and we need to be smarter than that. We need to be able to implement policies that do have evidence basis. And um, countering violent extremism is not one of them. So all it does is that it marginalises specific communities. And in this case, when it comes to CVE, um, it uh, targets the Muslim community without explicitly saying it's for the Muslim community. But we've seen with Trump now, you know, he's actually said that he's mm -hmm. going to redefine or reterm countering violent extremism to countering um, uh, Islamic, you know, I think it was Islamic extremism or Islamic mm -hmm. radicalism. So he's actually putting the word in there to define what it, what, it, what it exactly is. Even though, for example, if you look at the US, most of the terrorist activities were not done by Muslims. You mm -hmm. know, they were done by right-wing extremists, for example, domestic terrorism, you know. Um, and, you know, they're, they're afforded the, the, you know, the power to define terms and not put themselves within that definition. Like, for example, if you look at even the concept of terrorism, you know, you can never, you can never accuse the United States of terrorism, you mm. know, um, when they define what terrorism is and isn't, you know, as a state, you know, and, and apply that to the rest of the world. Um, so I think that uh, in, even if you look at evidence-based practice, if you look at the UK, for example, they've adopted the PREVENT program, which has a CVE model, you know, and all it is doing is alienating the Muslim community. Mm. There's no evidence for all the, um, uh, you know, all the concern that they have mm. in terms of those issues, yet they're adopting it, they're putting it in place, you know. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's a deliberate attempt to marginalise uh, the Muslim community, and me being my uh, uh, evidence-based practitioner, being a psychologist, I should be able to question um, the evidence basis for such policies, especially if it's going to affect um, uh, and marginalise a minority, minority community, which happens to be mine. So, I, I, And the, the unfortunate thing I find is that if I was a non-Muslim person uh, and a professional, and I was a very outspoken and not in hijab, yeah. you know, then what I'm saying... I won't be termed uh, as radical myself, um, a terrorist sympathizer by the media um, or a terrorist supporter. But unfortunately, because 
you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I do have very strong views, and I am Muslim mm. and visibly Muslim. You know, people have this perception that I'm against national security objectives, you know, and I don't want social cohesion, you know, in society. I don't want to live in peace and justice and so forth. And I think that's actually quite fair because I was born and raised in Australia and went to school in Australia. And we've always, you know, through our schooling system, been encouraged to critically assess and analyse and critique, you know, and that's exactly what I'm doing, you know. So, um, unfortunately, people like myself, you know, um, are targets um, of mm. the mainstream me media. I've been involved in the Muslim community for over 20 years, networked and liaised with uh, government departments, uh, law enforcement and health um, institutions as well, being in mental health, mental health, you know, and academic programs and never been uh, spoken about in the media. I've always been under the radar, yeah. you know, but it just so happens that I gave a conference presentation about a research in 2015 conference about radicalisation and Islamophobia. And I was deliberately misquoted um, uh, uh, misrepresented and mm. even a lot of the, con the, the content was uh, not factual that was reported about me in the Daily Telegraph. Yep. Um, even my bio, you know, my professional background was incorrect, you mm. know, and, and that just started, I think, um, my exposure uh, in, the, in the media, which is, mm. it, it is unfair, uh, but I just keep striving and I keep going. Mm. Um, and because I, I do also... Um, not only am I a professional psychologist, but I'm also very supportive of the grassroots Muslim community. So when they feel, you know, um, as if uh, they're being targeted, whether it's by law enforcement um, and the government, I believe that we should give uh, voice to the voiceless mm -hmm. in our community. You know, and often because I have a very large influence that's not well received uh, by a lot of people, um, so, but the thing is that, you know, we, we can't be in a position as a Muslim community you know, to, to not be able to analyse critique and have a voice, uh, at the, you know, at the expense of allowing uh, a lot of the subjugation of our community, whether it's at the politic political scale, law enforcement scale, media um, as well. So, um, so some of us are willing to put our uh, hijabs out on the line, if so to speak, you know, and, um, and contribute the, the best way possible. Is that... I guess the kind of the fire that you came under and being misquoted by the media and being reported um, falsely on, is that the reason why you don't give mainstream interviews? I, I don't give mainstream interviews. I think I did a self-gag. This was a decision that I, mm. I gave um, to myself about, I think about 15, 20 years ago. Mm. I think it was during the time of September 11. I was like, mm. you know, um, a lot of um, Muslim uh, um, spokespeople have been misquoted, misrepresented, and uh, you might laugh at this, but I, I'm the kind of person doesn't, that thinks I can't think fast on my feet when I'm asked a question. <laughs> no way. Yeah, so, You've been answering these questions so yeah, well. yeah, I know, I know. So, and I'm, um, because I prefer to be mindful of my responses because there's a mm. lot of weight if we make any errors. That's you know, true. and I don't want to, um, I honestly, and this is my personal view, I, um, I'm not a person that likes harm. So I don't want to put my, my community in, mm. in harm's way if I do say the, to, to do say the wrong thing. And it's not because um, I'm afraid to uh, express my views, but I'm the kind of person that would like to express my views on my own terms, you know. Um, and that's why I accepted this interview. You're not in the mainstream media. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, being able to uh, talk, uh, um, the, uh, you know, uh, mm, talk in a way that 
I think is is consistent with my values is also very important. Like mm-hmm. I give a lot of conference talks. I talk internationally um, at academic uh, conferences, psychology conferences, both mainstream and Islamic, you know, um, but they're on my terms. I accept to do those because that's my uh, area. And social media, you know, and that's, this is a thing that people do not understand because there's an audience. I do, I, I believe I, I can speak well with the audience that I'm targeting. So a lot of young people are on social media. And a lot of um, young people feel helpless in our community. And, and my, uh, a lot of my strong social media has been with the Muslim community. So it's mm-hmm. more internal dialogue because we don't have platforms. We honest, anyone who tells you that the Muslim community have, you know, um, consultations, they have, you know, um, uh, call-outs where they can come discuss pertinent issues, we don't actually have those avenues. Mm-hmm. So I had used the method of u- utilising uh, social media and a lot of the young people um, uh, would actually thank me for that because they will say, you know, we don't have enough leadership, um, you know, saying it raw. And, and, that's, that, and this, is, this, is, this is also an issue because when I'm speaking on social media to the Muslim community, you know, I, um, it's like internal speak, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, and, and that can often be misrepresented, misunderstood, and I'm using everyday language. So when you've got people in higher places who criticise my uh, uh, my um, social media, especially on Facebook, they don't realise I'm using a language for that particular audience. If they want me to use technical language, I actually use that in conferences and more mm. formal places. And I think that that's why um, there's a lot of criticism from higher places in the way that I that I um, would engage in social media. But it's not for them. You know, my social media is for the young. Um, Muslim Australians who want to see representatives engage them. And as we know, young people, a lot of them are on social media. So it's a a platform um, that we can actually use as a Muslim community, just like any other community. Very, very important messages and also criticise and uh, critique. Um, And that's why, for example, I started a more formal um, uh, uh, public uh, Facebook, for example, page Mm. where it's, that is um, common speak, I suppose, for everybody. Um, so it, it, it's, it's because I target my speech to different audiences that I tend to confuse mm. people. I think that I believe that there should be more leadership uh, from the government. And I earlier used the example of Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister, I mean, he, he's done amazing work. I, I, and I don't, I don't value politicians very highly, and, and I think that's, very, that's, that's, that's actually quite known. It's not a secret. Um, um, and that's because, personally, I hold on to a lot of um, strong principles. But that's mm-hmm. not for everybody. I actually prefer to be congruent with who I am as a person. But I think that if there was effective leadership, like demonstrated by Justin, where he's got even um, his, uh, his uh, front bench ministers we're very diverse and very experienced, you know, um, and he, he talks about inclusion and he, he represents that in his politics. It's not just talk. It actually does happen. He has a very strong uh, inclusive stance when it comes to refugees as well. He doesn't permit, you know, he very openly talks about, you know, um, not allowing fear into society, you know, and he, the thing is he says things and you can see that he sort of means that when, when you've got Canadians on the ground you know, who, who are um, least likely to condemn Justin, for example. So if we had politicians in Australia who could take on a very strong leadership, you know, so every time there are those alternative facts, which are, you know, non-facts yeah. that, that, are, that are spoken of, that he should be at the forefront saying this is not true. 
you know, because he's the Prime Minister of Australia, you know, and, and the everyday Australian would look at them, would, would look at their leader, you know, in, in a way that, okay, he knows what he's talking about. But when the Prime Minister of Australia is silent on very important matters, it sort of gives the green light, you know, for politicians um, to, to say things that are not conducive you know, to mm-hmm. a cohesive sort of society. But I think also, because, you know, racism is not only about hurt feelings, you know, um, it's institutional and it trickles down to society in all forms uh, of life, you know, and we know from um, evidence that being on the receiving end of racism, it profoundly affects a person's sense of well-being and mm-hmm. a sense of belonging and also um, self-worth. So it's up to us, you know, as a as an Australian community, so not just people who are victims of racism, the onus should be on everybody else to um, to be aware of racism that exists. So I think one of the most important things is to um, is to respond to racism. Um, we need to acknowledge that racism mm-hmm. actually exists, what it involves, and how people experience it. And I think that that's that's fairly important. And we need to say that racism is is wrong, you know. Um, but the we also need to hold the media um, coverage accountable because I do believe that the racism and Islamophobia in the media coverage is out of control and it needs to stop, you know, and um, journalists need to adopt a bit more investigative journalism rather Mm. than trying to bring out, be the first person to bring out the news, you know, bring out, you know, informed, you know, uh, proper information, not misinformation because that has... And um, uh, uh, that has an opportunity to to perpetuate harm, for example, you know. Um, so I think that the media has a strong role to play um, in. But I don't, to be honest, I'm not a pessimist. I'm actually one of the you know most optimistic people I know. But realistically, I actually don't see the situation getting any uh, easier, but actually becoming worse. And that's me being realistic. You know, um, again, I'm not a pessimist. You know, on the contrary, but I do see with with Trump, with Australian politics, UK politics, Brexit, for example, you know, um, that it it is going to get worse, um, and I just worry that it'll get out of control. You know, so you know, um, and that's that's exactly what we don't want for a cohesive society. You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.